Welcome to Cisco Champions Radio Season 5, Episode 13. Today we'll be talking about Cisco ACI. Our Cisco SMEs are John Weston and Juan Lage, and our champion hosts today are Luke Raballo and Matt Jovanovich. As for me, I'm Brett Shore from the Cisco Champion Program, and I'm your moderator today. John, if you can start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little, about, a little bit about your role at Cisco, that would be a great start. Okay, sure. Uh, my name is John Weston. I'm a technical marketing engineer in the data center business unit um, responsible for Nexus platforms and Cisco ACI. My main focus is Cisco ACI, so I focus on um, ACI, network connectivity, routing, uh, multi-site, multi-pod. Um, those are the main features I focus on. I've been at Cisco for 18 years in different roles in Cisco from testing to uh, advanced services. I've been working in the data center space for more than 10 years in Cisco, um, on mostly on Nexus platforms. Um, and I've been working on ACI since prior to its uh, release back in 2014. Great. Thanks, John. And Juan, if you can do the same, uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role at Cisco. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so a very similar background to that of John. Uh, I'm part of the same team, uh, part of the ACI technical marketing team. I also focus exclusively on, on ACI. Uh, slightly different focus from John. I uh, have spending more time, I've been spending more time on security features related to micro segmentation and then also on the integration that we have with various technology partners, whether it is VMware or uh, OpenStack integrations and more recently the uh, Kubernetes and OpenShift integrations as well. Uh, I've also been with Cisco for quite some time. I think I've been young for just a couple of years. I've been since 1998 here in a variety of different roles as well, uh, always in, in technical roles. I've been in pre-sales, I've been in tech, um, and I've been doing technical marketing for quite some time. Perfect. And Matt, um, if you could tell us who you are, where you are, and what you do, uh, that would be great. And this is from a Cisco Champions perspective. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm based in Spain, in Madrid. Uh, I'm, uh, my role is a European uh, cloud uh, center of excellence leader at uh, Logicalis. And uh, my specialities are basically, I come from networking, I'm a CCIE, but recently I've been focused on cloud a lot. So I'm certified in Google Cloud Platform, Amazon, and I've really been doing a lot of VMware, so apart from being a Cisco champion, I'm also a V expert. So, yeah, I, I think that covers it. Awesome. Thanks. And, Luke, same for you. Who are you, where are you, and what do you do? Yeah, so I'm Luke Roballo. I'm uh, based in Belgium, uh, not far from uh, Juan. Um, I work for a non-profit organization, and we deliver services for uh, the public sector from uh, healthcare and, uh, and government. Uh, mainly uh, data center networking, some uh, compute as well, and we've been using ACI, uh, which is the subject for today, for more than two years now. Great, thanks. And as discussed, Juan, if you want to kick things off here uh, with a brief history of ACI and what it is, that would uh, get us started. Sure, so I'll try to uh, uh, be quick. It's, there's a lot to tell. Uh, so we launched ACI uh, at the end of 2014. Uh, ACI uh, was launched as a, an SDN uh, fabric. It delivers an integrated VXLAN overlay so that you can have network virtualization combined with uh, a single point of management for your fabric needs. And it's shipped with integration with a number of uh, virtualization solutions, particularly with VMware and Microsoft System Center at the time. And over the uh, years, we've been evolving the solutions. So we've been evolving in a number of ways. Number one, we support now multiple fabrics. So soon enough, we uh, enable customers to stress a single fabric across multiple data centers. And then later on, we enhance that capability to support a larger number of lead spine architectures combined through a single IP network with a solution we call multipod. And uh, fast forward into today on that focus, and we introduced uh, multi-site last year, which enables you to not only have multiple different fabrics, but actually managed by different controllers that are somehow federated together and managed from a single pane of glass on the multi-site controller appliance. And then with regards to network virtualization and integration with the various uh, technology partners and frameworks, 
we've continued enhancing that portfolio as well. Um, there's a constant integration with uh, L47 partners for uh, load balancing and next generation firewall. And in particular, with cloud platforms like OpenStack, where we've been shipping the uh, Neutron plugin for over two years. And uh, more recently, we've extended similar integration to container networking, delivering a CNI plugin for Kubernetes, OpenShift, and Pivotal Cloud Foundry. So I think that's a really quick summary of where we are today. John, did I leave anything out? No, that, that sounds like a, a good summary. Great. Thanks, Juan. And uh, so now let's pass this over to Matt and Luke. I know you have lots of questions for John and Juan. Uh, please go ahead and, and start. Yeah, if I can start. Uh, one of the things that we, we learned with ACI was, uh, and that was one of the way you, you told us, uh, it was any compute anywhere. Uh, but what we see in real deployment is that you still need to uh, pay attention to the way you deploy your fabric. And do you have best practice or um, some specific points regarding scaling ACI and some feedback from the field that you can share? So um, in what sense scaling the ACI? So the fabric itself is a single VXLAN fabric that can extend across um, what, what we what we see from the from our system engineer, for example, is yeah, but we want to co connect anything, any VM in any rack, and we want to uh, get rid of any planning for the, the server and put any server anywhere and whatever the hypervisor, whatever the the the, the VLAN, we want to be able to stretch everything everywhere. But yeah, it doesn't work like that. I, I, I want to chime in here. So I think there's um, there's a couple of points there, right? With, with regards to scale, certainly um, you can, in theory, provision any VLAN anywhere, but this uh, this works better if you provision uh, EPGs or VLANs uh, with on-demand provisioning, which is not always possible, right, as you know. Uh, but as long as you can provision on demand, then, uh, you know, it's actually pretty difficult to kind of overrun the capacity of the leads. Not that you can't, uh, but it's, it, you know, it, the system was built precisely for this on-demand on provisioning. I think uh, where you guys have seen perhaps some bottlenecks have been more on, on interconnecting the, uh, you know, like border leads to legacy environment where you were carrying a lot of state already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other area where you may have seen limitations uh, with regards to connecting any VLAN or any VM anywhere uh, has been perhaps with regards to OpenStack integration. And, and this is more of a, uh, let's say, a, an API conversation in the sense that uh, when you let Neutron drive ACI, then Neutron is the one to command. And then if you want to do things outside of Neutron, you kind of have this dual uh, API entry into the, into the fabric. And, you know, there are ways around it, but it, it, it does require planning and understanding of both, of both ends, right? Um, okay, I have a question. It's uh, related uh, mostly to the extended data center, so multi-pod, multi-site. Uh, so I'm a true fan of the uh, ACI Anywhere uh, concept within the multi-cloud strategy and all that. Um, and we've had a lot of customers in Europe where um, they kind of, they're kind of between multi-pod and multi-site. So both both of them kind of uh, fit in their uh, use cases, uh, and in the future they're not sure what they want to do, whether they want to move to a hybrid environment or something like that. What do you tend to recommend to the customers like that? Do you recommend them to go to the multi-site because of the ACI anywhere, or do you still recommend multi-pod? Yeah, so, so multi-pod and multi-site are both um, um, solutions that have that overlap in some cases, but they have, in some cases, they have different use cases. So one of the um, uh, differences between multi-pod and multi-site is distance. So multi-pod is typically used in areas where it's a metro area and the data centers are close together um, and they're um, deployed as an active active or a, a single availability zone. So we, we use the, con we, we also, um, talk about availability zones as well with multi-pod and multi-site. Um, and when we look at multi-pod, multi-pod is a single availability zone. It's a single change domain from the APIC controller, um, whereas multi-site 
uh, is more of uh, separate availability zones. Multi-site also offers greater distance, uh, um, geographic distance distances for the data centers. So with multi-site, they could be across the, the, the world, basically. So that's one of the differences between multi-pod and multi-site. But one of the things that it, it comes back to is whether you're deploying it as a single availability zone from your compute environment, your storage environment. If you have the data center that's going to be a single availability zone, then multi-pod aligns um, in that case. And multi-site is more if you're um, deploying it as a separate availability zones. Um, but both of those uh, are two different, you know, two technologies that, that are supported as well as supported together. So we could have, for example, have uh, a multi-site environment that includes multi-pod fabric. Okay, guys. So basically, in the ACI anywhere, in ACI anywhere, you would treat uh, the entire multi-pod as one site, right? That's correct. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Thanks. But you you can you you can deploy uh, ACI in uh, multi-site within the same within one data center, one facility, and and split your data center to have different availability zones. Depending on the tiering of your data center, if you have enough availability, you can totally uh, split your data center in multiple layer three domain and layer two domain. Yeah. So so with multi-pod, both multi-pod and multi-site, from the tenant uh, perspective, you still have the same functionality as far as stretching subnet, stretching layer two. You can stretch that across both layer two and layer or uh, both multi-pod and multi-site, um, but still treat them as different availability zones and multi-site, but you still have the functionality to extend layer two and layer three. Okay, thank you. Um, regarding the uh, deployment um, in the first, I mean, one of the, the, the key selling point of ACI is the whitelisting model and uh, everything is closed by default. Uh, do you see it deployed a lot in the field? Uh, or do you see mostly uh, people deploying ACI in brownfield or existing data center and not really embracing the full capacities of ACI? Uh, I, can, I can take on that one. So the whitelist model has been indeed challenging to a lot for many customers. I think, you know, there's no way to shy away from that. Uh, we have some customers that are driving the workloads on ACI in an automated way using whatever tools for automation and there's a variety of them that we're seeing. Uh, but where essentially everything is kind of provisioned as greenfield deployments where the whitelist policy model has been successful for them. But when you want to actually roll it over over brownfield that you've imported or you carry over kind of lift and shift from your legacy network into ACI, it's really challenging to uh, to adopt policies in a whitelist model. And, you know, there are tools for that, as you guys know, uh, the tracing is a tool that, that will help customers move forward in that model, but it's, it's a really, um, you know, tough thing to do. One thing that we have done um, is that with the 3.2 release, we're also adding the possibility of now using blacklist uh, for defining contracts so that mm -hmm. more customers can actually implement policy distributor in their fabric following similar you know, concepts that they've been using before, which is kind of like talking what you don't want as opposed to, you know, enabling exactly what you need. I don't know if you want to add, John. No, that, that's correct. Um, yeah, and um, on the, you know, it, um, we have customers that also can uh, leverage other features. We have like preferred groups, for example, so we can, we can enable that whitelist um, and this policy at the same time as um, having like a no policy configuration. So it's not like one or the other, and that helps with customers that are um, looking at just migrating into ACI with no policy enforced and then slowly over time adding that that uh, whitelist model. Yeah, what, what, what we see is that uh, for existing uh, network, it's very difficult to implement, but when you start playing with containers and when you use uh, or the uh, CNI integration, I think it really starts to make sense. And the whitelisting model is the people who are deploying container. They 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 ask for they start to ask for security, and they really enjoy working with uh, Contiv because it's building the 
the driver, so they can deploy security from the get-go to the container. They, they really enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's good. And and actually, kind of like a, a, a question back, if if I may, right? So. Uh, some of the customers that we've seen implementing Whitelist have also been OpenStack customers, right? Where you know the role of more security groups. I and I know you guys have been having your own challenges with managing security groups, but I don't know if you wanna if you wanna share uh, your experience in terms of uh, the Whitelist model implemented in that in that domain. Yeah, from my part, it's uh, yeah. So we are running. We have been running uh, ACI and uh, OpenStack, and the uh, security policy is done in OVS, so it's not yet. In, uh, we are not yet in converge mode on the neutron uh, driver, but uh, yeah, it's still we're still delegating the security to the uh, the, the OVS uh, bridge. Correct. Yeah, and it works. But you know, <laughs> you know what it is with OpenStack and the security. Uh, the security layer is not great. We you you, you yeah, there are a lot of pieces that are missing, but it's not really uh, uh, ACI problem it's more of a um, requirement for the the OpenStack community and they are trying to reboot the everything that is security related but I think there is a lot of work and what we see is that you have external uh, security vendors like Checkpoint who are embracing the um, modern uh, approach and using API to query and to discover uh, assets in the network. And I think that's not a bad uh, bad way to do it. Okay. Uh, ACI is a very complex product uh, and you launched recently the uh, network um, assurance engine. Do you see it as helping uh, engineer transition from the uh, legacy uh, Box per box uh, management to ACI deployment. Sorry, what was the, the what's helping? I, I missed that part. No, network assurance engine. Network assurance engine. So I'll, I'll take my first uh, shot at it, and and then uh, John, let me know what you think. So first, I you know I, I kind of politely disagree that ACI is a very complex product. I think it, it does require a different skill set if you want to uh, uh, take advantage of many of the features that it brings, but. Uh, uh, you know, complexity is, is to be put in the light of uh, acquiring those skills, which sometimes, you know, does take time, right? Does uh, NAE will help? I think NAE uh, will help for sure, but it's, it's also uh, driving a different conversation. I mean, I think NAE is more about being able to, um, A, you know, get a snapshot, an educated analysis of the snapshots of, you know, how your fabric is actually running and detect misconfigurations, um, or, or mistakes that were induced by, by human errors, uh, as well as uh, eventually being able to simulate changes before you apply them on the fabric so you can actually assess better the risk of, you know, changes that you may want to apply to your data center. So I'm not sure necessarily that it's, it's going to, like, you know, you got to learn to operate a fabric and, and NAE is not going to, you know, make it any less, uh, you know, an effort to actually learn to do it but uh, certainly should help with uh, some of the troubleshooting actions and, as I said before, you know, de-risking uh, change management and control, right? Yeah. From an operations standpoint, I can tell you I have people who are so used to box-by-box uh, box that they still don't really touch ACI. They think, oh, it's too complex and I need someone to do a script because I don't want, I don't see, I don't, they, some people don't, don't really get it. I agree with you. It's not complex once you you get into it, but I think to master it, it's not so easy. Yeah, it's it, again. It comes back to the skill sets, right? I mean, if you're familiar with yeah. your show command from the CLI, is when you're a kick to, right? And you yeah. know, as much as some of them may be available, uh, some of them may not. And and the idea in any case is that you you're not going to go to the boxes and do you know show commands. Um, so from that angle, I, I, I hope it does help people. Uh, I think, you know, you're going to be seeing enhancement on APIC itself, right, providing uh, increased visibility and tools into, you know, what BDs and what uh, VRFs are deployed where and, and when were they deployed and when they disappeared, if they did, and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. So you're going to be seeing uh, the APIC UI uh, enhanced to facilitate those things, but ultimately, to your point, right? You know, if, if you're gonna stick to uh, you know the same commands that you, you're familiar with for 10 years, um, well, maybe 
10 years from now, you may not have a job. <laughs> the, the sad part <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I w was wondering as well, you, you released, so we have now a, a compatibility matrix on the, uh, compatibility between the ACI release, the OpenStack, uh, VMware and the different, uh, supported version. Uh, do you think you, we will have more detail on a per hypervisor, uh, basis? Uh, for example, in, um, with VMware, you can deploy it in, uh, VXLAN or VLAN mode. What are the benefits of going VXLAN with VMware, uh, over VLAN? Because you're still in a way limited to the 4K, uh, resource, I guess. Right. So I think there's, there's a few questions embedded on that one, right? I mean, um, yeah. I'll, I'll take it on the last one, which is kind of like the easiest. Uh, the um, So VLAN versus VXLAN, I think it, it's a matter of simplifying the provisioning of uh, any intermediate switch. Like if you have late switches or UCSFI, um, mm -hmm. you know, by using VXLAN, you don't have to provision anything or almost anything on those uh, intermediate switches. Although, with a single two release, stay tuned because we're going to have a, a, a nice feature to facilitate that provisioning on UCSB CDs as well. But, oh. but that's clearly one of the, the key benefits. Um, now, uh, when we add AVE, uh, one of the things that you, you're going to see as well coming uh, in, in the near future with the 4.0 release is the VPOD the solution where we're essentially uh, making AVE fully capable of functioning as a fully virtual leaf. Um, and therefore applying policy and routing decisions directly on the virtual leap. And at that moment, essentially, uh, you're, you're going to see potentially a, a really uh, significant, uh, you know, uh, scale uh, advantage as well to using the app. Yeah, so, so that was saying then. So that's, that's a, uh, one of the advantages of uh, VXLAN is the uh, simplicity of provisioning of intermediate uh, switch layers that you may have between the leaf and the actual um, virtual switch. And as I said before, in the future, once we provide a full lease capability on the AVE, you're going to see uh, even greater advantage, you know, like local switching and uh, and so on. As for the other hypervisors, so I think what you'll see in the compatibility matrix is indeed, you know, what are the releases and versions that we're supporting and we're validating. The active implementation will depend depending on the environment. I mean, one of the key things with ATIC is that we're not necessarily tied to using always our data plane. So we don't have to always use our virtual switch. And that means sometimes, um, you know, we, we do things in different ways depending on the, on the data plane. So, for instance, with the Red Hat virtualization, we shipped a very quick and fast first integration based on the Linux bridge and VLAN mode. Um, are we looking to use VXLAN mode as well in the future? Yes. Um, there are multiple paths for that. But in the, in the current release, uh, up until the 4.2 release, and even today, uh, Red Virtualization 4.2 came GA today, but it still doesn't fully support OBS. Right? You know, Red Hat supported option is still the Linux bridge. So that's why we favor that option. But eventually, we'll, we'll get to actually delivering feature consistency. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll switch a bit to uh, programmability, because that's the, 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 the hype is really on that, I think, right now. Uh, so uh, we have, in Logicalis, we have a bunch of customers in Europe. Uh, where the network engineers are, you know, having listened to all the presentations about programmability with ACI, they want to go do it. So um, we talk to them, and some of them really want just to focus on, like, Postman or some something like that. Uh, we show them maybe ACI Toolkit with Python or Ansible and stuff like that. And some, sometimes they ask us, so what should we use? You know, you know our business, and, you know. Uh, so basically, uh, I, I myself, I'm better with Ansible, and I like it more, so I recommend that. But I wonder if you guys have some kind of statistics or like a, an actual like compatibility list or algorithm to say like, okay, if customers doing this, then, you know, better go with Python or if they're going this way, just better go with this. Or if you can tell us some percentage of, of uh, customers who are using which kind of programmability way. Well, percentage is a, is a tough one. I don't know if John has any clue of any figures, but... I, I can tell you that I, I, I know uh, a few customers whose automation tool is Excel, believe it or not, right? And they, they built integration so that they can actually provision the fabric from an Excel spreadsheet. Um, that's just to say that um, I, I don't think there is like a, a fixed or set preference. You know, 
definitely Cisco has a strong bet, for instance, with NSO, and, and it works in, in, in many environments. Uh, so that's, that's one option always. Using the Python SDK seems to be like a complicated thing for most network engineers. Like, you know, the skills you need for programming to Cobra, uh, you know, requires some really strong programming skills, right? And, and that seems to be uh, like a showstopper for those shops that are not really, you know, 100% DevOps. In that sense, I think Ansible is like a good compromise because it's, uh, you know, much simpler to acquire skills with Ansible and you can actually uh, do a lot of good stuff already with the existing modules and there's always the ACI REST module for anything else that we have really uh, accomplished yet. So I, I do see Ansible becoming increasingly popular, not just for ACI, but in other reasons. Um, and then we still have a, a fair amount of customers that are um, automating through a more traditional orchestrator, workflow-based orchestrator, VRO, or a UCS director. Uh, so I'm not really answering your question in the sense of giving you like a, um, you know, a, a stronger bias from my point or perhaps some figures, but I, I just don't have like a percentages really or, or anything that I could share. No, I don't know, John. This, 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 is, this is more or less what I, what I wanted to hear, like more or less what's happening in the market. I don't really care about the numbers because the market right. is no, I, yeah, I understand that it's good to have sometimes uh, like a, a, you know, a sense of, of how big one chunk of the market is versus another one. I guess we, we, we've seen shops where they have, um, you know, like I know a major bank in Europe that has a strong practice and experience using the real orchestrator, and that's what they use to provision most of the stuff they need on the fabric. Um, Others are using UCS Director, and, and again, Ansible is, is increasingly popular as well. And they are not and mutually exclusive in, in any case. Correct. Good point. Look, yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Sometimes, uh, you know, they can be combined too. Uh, what yeah. about when you talk when you talk to uh, like the network engineers? I know that uh, let's say uh, an exit you gave them with the network centric mode. Uh, that's kind of a fearly remover from networking departments. So we saw in some cases that the customer um, actually has a different guys, like maybe system guys or some of those, taking over the ACI when it switches to programmability. So what are you seeing there? Are you seeing network engineers more, more accepting the role of, um, you know, handling the API libraries and giving them to, the, uh, uh, to the whoever is leading the automation project? Or are you seeing some other figure who is, taking on the ACI to do that? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 in general, I see that, uh, especially in large organizations, it looks like uh, network engineers are still um, perhaps not as fast as I think they should adopting, you know, DevOps practices and, and increasing or enhancing their um, programmability skills. Perhaps because these environments are more siloed and, and, you know, the responsibilities are more clear and perhaps because sometimes there's less, um, need, you know, they to, like to your point, I think in those cases, the automation comes even from other teams and it's those teams that are really taking over those pieces. Uh, but in, in mid-sized organizations, I think I'm seeing increasing intense interest uh, in, in, in having those skills and, you know, I, I'm sometimes surprised as to, you know, some of the guys find solutions for problems that we, you know, could not imagine. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things you can do when you know how to query the API and how you use the API to, to do the stuff that you want based on the response that you're getting. And, um, yeah, I guess that, that's um, a, a total mix, right, you know, similar to the previous point. Right? Yeah, I had a question regarding programmability. Do you see a lot of customer ending over the... Um part of the network management to uh, developer and allowing them to create tenants or where they can really create their own cloud uh, dynamically. They build the, the, their network, they use it, and they, 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 they commission it. Do you see that happening, uh, a more dynamic network? Uh, sorry, I just wanted to add back on the, uh, the automation discussion um, and the network engineer part. Um, so. I would agree with um, Juan's comments on the different types of automation, as well as um, seeing network engineers slowly maybe adopting some of these automation skills. Um, but what sometimes gets overlooked is the fact that the fabric itself brings uh, an inherent level of automation into the fabric as well. 
And when I speak to some network engineers and they hear about ACI and they hear about all of the different automation um, options available, if they're not someone who has a background in automation or scripting, that sometimes is a bit daunting for them. But what sometimes is overlooked is the fact that even from the zero-touch provisioning part of bringing up uh, a VXLAN overlay fabric like this with, um, you know, almost no effort other than identifying the, the nodes and building that VXLAN from day, day zero and day one to defining these policies that are automatically, you know, pushed to all of the, the necessary leaf switches in the fabric as well as the integration with the virtual environment. And all of this is built into the fabric without even um, requiring any, you know, automation skills from the network engineer. So I think that's a level of automation that's built in and sometimes overlooked. Yeah, that's, that's actually that's cool. yeah, that's a very good point, and 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 I guess it, it, it's only when you try to accomplish the same things on your own uh, on a standalone VXLAN fabric that you actually realize these things. You know, like if if you look at you know when you want to enable any new service on a uh, on a number of ports with ACI, just present the EPG to the port, or if you're using integration with virtualization just to the VNN domain, and you don't do anything else, right? You don't have to provision the SVIs, you don't have to provision route distinguishes, you don't have to provision verbs. All of that is automatically done for you. That's a really, really good point, John. Yeah, I think once you do uh, VMM integration, it's it becomes really easy. Uh, when you work with VMware, it's uh, yeah, you add uh, add your VMM domain and you're done, and it goes everywhere. Yeah, that's that's and, good. And, yeah, and even with systems, right? You know, because just you know, selecting uh, a set of static paths and assigning an EPG, the rest is taken care of, right? You know, you don't have to worry about, uh, again, you know, VRFs, uh, uh, SBIs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right? And, but um, so to, to your uh, other question, um, do we see people delegating uh, complete provisioning and deprovisioning of network configurations to uh, uh, other parts of the organization? Definitely, yes. Uh, for all private cloud deployment, whether they're driven from OpenStack or from other environments, that's, that's what's happening, yeah. And an interesting conversation that is beginning to take place now is, is what happens with some of these, uh, you know, container cluster management solutions, right? And, and again, we're, we're, we're in that situation where, you know, there's a boundary between two teams that need to find an agreement on how they're going to share a resource. I have uh, one question. It's also related to because of obviously you're seeing much more customers uh, than, than all of us do. So, um, have you had the case, and it's yes, um, could you go in details, to, to sell ACI to a company that doesn't really have a networking department, where it would be completely handled by the developers, where you would just give them the tools to uh, manage ACI, and they would uh, just basically do the automation uh, from uh, somewhere else, just just using the Without really knowing the, what ACI is about, just learning the the concepts, like basically the the tenants, the EPGs, security groups, and stuff like that, and and consuming them directly. Have you had some cases like that? I I know of of two cases um, that could fall in that category um, of you know the fabric actually being acquired by by a team that didn't have any prior or, or specific network expertise. Um, and, and one was one of our early uh, adopters for container technology um, using the Nomad uh, container cluster management. And, and another one was an OpenStack customer, right, that they, they bought it as an OpenStack solution, really. Uh, but I wouldn't say that it's the, the most frequent case for us. I don't know, John, if, if you have uh, some other experiences. No, I, I would agree, yeah. We would welcome more, for sure. Yeah. Okay, Matt, you want to do a third-party integration? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, we were talking about, Luke and I, about the third-party integration, about the uh, firewalls balancers and the managed, unmanaged mode in the service graph. And uh, one thing uh, I noticed in some of our customers is that when they uh, go for the managed mode, because the concept is, uh, is, is kind of a better, they want to just consume uh, APIs of ACI to uh, uh, automate everything and not – and have the uh, – maybe a balancer or a firewall under it, um, they find a number of issues like uh, stability, uh, maybe limitations, scaling, uh, some functionalities are of course not there, 
uh, and there's an entire issue of governance. And uh, recently, uh, F5 announced that they're going to discontinue the iWorkflow uh, and that they're going to stop supporting the official managed mode. So um, do you have a lot of customers who actually use managed mode or uh, do you officially recommend the unmanaged and um, automating uh, the devices like the firewalls, uh, browsers, and ACI separately? So with the service integration in ACI, we support three modes. We have the Azureware, we have the fully managed mode where the device package uh, contains all of the information to fully manage that device. Uh, we also have the unmanaged mode, so that's in the mode where there's no device package and we still add that to the fabric as a layer four to seven device, which helps still automate the network stitching of that device to the fabric and visibility. We also have what is uh, called service manager mode, and that's kind of a hybrid of the two. Um, so, and this kind of goes back to also your um, comment about governance and, and, uh, and that. So uh, with the service manager mode, that's another mode that also provides a, um, a device package, but the device package does not include all of the uh, parameters to man fully manage that device. It may be just for the layer two, layer three portion, the network portion of that device, whereas the layer four to seven, so the policy and configuration of the, the rules would be managed through uh, typically the, the vendor interface for that device. So that's another mode that we also support, and uh, and and that again benefits from the the automation as well as the, the network stitching automation through the in the fabric. So is that the same like the hybrid mode? Is that the same like the hybrid mode? Yes, yes, that's the same as the okay. hybrid. Mode. I, I, because we were always calling it the hybrid mode. I, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I think okay. originally we called it the hybrid mode, but now we we call it the service managed mode. Um, but it, it is the hybrid mode, but so it's it's providing a device package to manage typically the, the networking portion of that device, the layer two, layer three, the interface, config, the IP addressing, um, but still leave the, the uh, layer four to seven configuration of the device to, to the manager for that device. So that's another mode that is supported. And these different modes are supported on different platforms, so depending on the platform um, and the level of automation or the team that's responsible for managing that device. But what about the customers who are using ACI and some kind of uh, service graph, one of the three modes? Uh, what are you seeing uh, when they use it in production? What are the most common modes uh, now that they're using and which ones are, are not that common? I think, I think it's fair to say that unmanaged mode is, is more popular than the other ones. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this is a, a, a complicated conversation because there's multiple ways to solve the same problem, right? And um, using a single API to automate everything, like, like you said, Matt, you know, if, you know, you kind of converge on the APK API to you know, automate. For any other approach that is similar, it eventually leads to the same path, which is a minimum common denominator, right? So you end up, you know, having to restrict yourself to a minimum set of functionalities. And, and that's fine for a, a number of use cases. Uh, but in, in many cases, it doesn't fulfill the aspirations of customers that expect that, hey, I'll be able to turn on every single knob and feature and capability that, I, that I'm paying for, right, on, on my, uh, you know, F5 or my, uh, you know, NG firewall of choice, right? And, and that's where, you know, does it make sense? Like, most of these vendors already are providing their own APIs, and, you know, maybe if you have an external orchestration system, it actually makes more sense to consume that natively, right? So, um, so that's why Unmanaged has been kind of like probably the most deployed one. I have seen a lot of interest in the hybrid deployment with certain vendors, uh, and you know, with some more than with others, depending on their own implementation. Really. Um, okay. And what, what about um, another integration, let's say, issue? Because uh, obviously uh, VMware closed the kernel on their uh, VDS on Vsphere, like in 2016, and. Um, I read uh, quite a few documents that uh, stated the non-coherent information, whether they support the virtual switches of the third parties and they don't, uh, or they don't. So uh, I know that AVE is uh, like a virtual leaf, and um, 
I, I've seen it like in progress. I wonder how the support is handled there. How, how are you guys? Is, it, is Cisco giving support? Is it supported actually by, by VMware? Do the customers lose support when they implement it? How does that part work? Yeah, so with regards to that, I mean, what happened is indeed VMware had a, a, an API for third-party virtual switch uh, integration, which was jointly developed with Cisco back in the day of the next 1000B, in fact. And, you know, rightfully so, they decided that they were going to discontinue that uh, API with uh, VCL 6.5 update 2, which I think just came out, right? And what that means is that customers cannot continue using any kernel-level implementation like in 1KB or ABS, um, you know, past that release. So what we did is we, we moved both N1KD and uh, ABS into a user space model, right? So a specific for ACI, the, the um, product is called ACI Virtual Edge or ADE. And with regards to the support model, the, the, the good thing with this particular approach is that there's no support challenge, right? Because essentially this runs as a virtual machine, it's a virtual appliance, and you know, just, just you can run a, a Palo Alto firewall or a Checkpoint firewall or a Cisco firewall or you know a Linux VM running uh, you know IP tables, and you're free to do whatever you want with your VMs on top of your hypervisor, right? So it you know just so happens that the user space VM in this case is the ADE, and we configure it in a way that we find all the, all the traffic that is interesting uh, to pass through the ADE, uh, and. You know, one of the interesting things that it gives us is that being in user space, one of the things we're not longer restricted about is, uh, compared to being in the kernel, is memory and storage space, right? So, provided you have it, of course, <laughs> but uh, certainly there's not a restriction that you have in the kernel. So, that means we can actually build, you know, long, you know bigger libraries, and we can also uh, have processes that consume more memory which today we're not leveraging, but in the future will enable us to do more sophisticated networking as well, right? Yeah, one more, one more question regarding the fact that you are in user space. Do you do you see a, a performance impact compared to AVS? Because sure, that's, that's, always... one, that's what uh, VMware is uh, now saying. They say, yeah, but you know Cisco, they are not running in, uh, in kernel space, so it's not real switching. <laughs> well, not real switching, I don't know what... It's funny that you say that if, if they do, and, and, and I seriously doubt it, right? Because, you know, they're, they're all, their entire VM technology requires running VMs in user space, right? All their egress and ingress routing has to run in user space, right? Um, mm -hmm. So definitely the one vendor that cannot uh, discredit uh, the use of uh, VNS, right? Uh, there's, there's a performance impact, no doubt about it, and we've said it before, right? And that's why we, for instance, challenged uh, some of these implementations, because if you put user space to route on a bottleneck, you know, um, you will see those performance constraints uh, being very, very serious. Like if, if all your ingress and egress traffic from an overlay comes to user space, eventually you may have inadequate performance. Similarly, on any given hypervisor, will you have performance constraints? I certainly would say that if you, if you have like high performance databases that require ultra low latency, um, you, you wouldn't run them through the AVE today. Uh, but that's why we also give you that choice. So you can actually map EPGs to the hypervisor in native VDS mode for like, you know, top, you know, uh, workloads that will not tolerate any uh, latency or performance decrease, and then others can actually map to the AVE, right? So we can have an hybrid model with both uh, switch uh, being used by uh, ACI. Correct. That's exactly correct, yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but talking about VMware, uh, it seems that they're really closing a lot of support stuff because they they close the uh, APIs on the kernel. They don't support 1000V, obviously. Uh, I know that uh, VRNI, like the, virtu uh, virtu uh, the Network Insight, uh, VRNI, uh, doesn't support ACI. It supports it officially, but they don't include it in the product anymore. Someone told me that. They couldn't really explain it. Um, do you, I mean, this is maybe an unpopular question, but I'm really interested. Do you know why this is? Is there some kind of... Uh, is it because of the competition, or is it because they want to control their own clouds without external products, or something else? Look, I don't know. I mean, it's, I understand it's a good question, um, but it's perhaps a question more for the product managers of the relevant products within VMware. I mean, for our part, we we do our best to work with them, really. Uh, in some areas, we compete. In some areas, we collaborate. Um, when it comes to VRNI, it's a, a product that, 
I personally haven't come across that much. I mean, it's not widely deployed, but uh, sure, we would welcome if they if they uh, add support for ACI. You know, there's no reason for for it not to be. Um, you know, we're not putting any any locks in in that sense, right? Uh, yeah, but the lock is in the product because basically we have uh, quite a few customers who do have ERNI or, or who who want like the who want the perfect integration and it's not there because it seems that it's not there more because of the political reasons than because of the technicals and that's kind of gets you know kind of gets them angry. Yeah, well, I, I really cannot comment on that, Matt. I mean, it's uh, okay, okay, yeah, I'm sure they have good reasons to do what they do, and you know, there's not much we can do about it, right? Um, yeah. Uh, while we are uh, talking about VMware, and um, we are we are we are receiving a lot of um, queries from the VMware people or from VMware staff on our side, and they 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 would like to explore NSX, and while we tell them, yeah, that's we don't really need NSX. We already have an overlay. You're putting an overlay on an overlay, and yeah, we. We don't need we don't need to deploy a new one. Uh, one of the features that we see that might have potential is the NSX Edge, where they can uh, deploy an NSX in at a customer data center and do layer two extension over IPsec. Do you have something similar in your bag of tricks? So you need to do like a, a an encrypted layer two. Uh, between two VMs. The, yeah, no, they create a, um, an IPsec tunnel between uh, an OS6 uh, off-site on another on a distant data center uh, to do the layer two extension. Yeah, uh, that's something that this, has been supported this, this, on the CSR1000V like for ages, right? So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that you 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 were using the CSR1000V for uh, cloud deployment to do. Yeah, I mean, all I'm saying is this, I don't see, like, you know, it's, it's a point feature that, uh, you know, it's solved in so many other ways, right? Yeah. What what we see is that when you have customer who wants to migrate from one data center to another and they want to integrate with VMware, they always require to have layer 2 extension, and we don't really like to have a redundant layer 2 extension because of the past <laughs> and spelling tree but yeah what we but, this yeah, we, we but this doesn't solve it right i mean whether you do it with esds or just have one key right if you put only one device doing the extension then you don't have redundancy if you put two you have layer two yeah. Yeah. i don't see that this changes anything and if you need to extend layer two between two data centers, there's a number of ways. If the performance that you get out of a VM doing IPsec, which is going to be sub one gig, is sufficient, then you can use a CSR one kV. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In any case, you do a VPC and then it should be okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's as good or bad, right? In any case. But do you have a lot of customers running NSX over ACI? I wouldn't and say is a there, lot. Is there I mean, an added benefit for that? It's certainly, I, I don't see an added benefit. No, I, I, I do see a benefit of having a better underlay if you're going to run in a six, right? And, and ACI does overcome some limitations that customers have encountered. Um, but I don't see the reverse being valid in most cases. Certainly not for this particular use case of, uh, you know, encrypting an extension, right? I mean, mm -hmm. buying in a six licenses for that seems like an overkill for, for something that can be done in any other way. Okay. Uh, I think I can jump in on this one because we have uh, a few customers who are doing this, and it's mostly the the question of governance. Because uh, obviously you have ACI, and uh, sometimes you have the VMware uh, wanting to maintain the, their entire cloud. They want to use the vRealize for automation and all that. So NSX kind of creates a logical extension of that environment. So if you have, if you have a customer who has various different different like bubbles environments and one of them is completely 100% VMware but there are a bunch of others some of them are I don't know Red Hat some a few open stacks maybe mainly service providers uh, then they use then they separate NSX completely in that bubble so it runs on top of ACI so then you have a, a VXLAN of the uh, NSX running uh, on top of uh, VXLAN of ACI so you have a doubling uh, encapsulated uh, 
and effects, but um, there were never performance issues in, in neither of these. Uh, ACI, from ACI's point of view, it's uh, most of the cases isolated in one ACI tenant, and you just you know do the networking modes, map uh, static map EPGs to to, to VLANs, so from it, it acts as an underlay and. Uh, and yeah, it, it works perfectly. There is no uh, issue there. Sure, there's no reason why it wouldn't work, right? And and in fact, indeed, you know, the, the double encapsulation is a completely non-issue because there's no penalty on, on ACI whether you encapsulate or not, right? Uh, I think that's one of the, the cases that we have documented on on our design guides. Uh, is is really a political decision, right? It's uh, like Matt said, you know, more of a you know. Uh, Silos, you know, this silo wants to run this technology, and and this other silo doesn't want it. Right? That's definitely a, a common reason. Yeah. Uh, well, while mm -hmm. we're on a, on a VMM integration, I have one, one question about the um, OpenStack and uh, and the uh, RH, Um So uh, OpenStack obviously supports uh, both VLAN and VXLAN, and um, and RHV only supports with the, uh, the integration with Linux bridges. Do you do you have any plan or information whether uh, we can expect a similar integration to uh, the OpenStack one with the, with the VXLAN? Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know if we, we were supposed to talk about roadmaps, but this one I, I kind of covered already before. So the, the main reason we started working with Linux bridge in VLAN mode is because that's the only officially supported model for, for REST. Even on REF 4.2, which came to, into GA today, uh, OBS bridges are not fully supported. Right? They're still in PDU. I think it's going to be on the next uh, release 4.2.1 or 4.2.2 that uh, they'll officially support it. Right? Definitely, we have plans to actually, uh, you know, provide feature parity with other hypervisors and extend the exam, but I, I don't, I cannot really tell you right now for which specific release this is going to be committed. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. So we have about four minutes left. Um, if we want to wrap up with one final question, uh, let's go ahead and do that now. The roadmap really limits us a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Well, I think that was kind of like what was stated at the beginning, right? And um, you know, we can always uh, reconvene in some other in some other form. But uh, other than the roadmap, you know, there's plenty to talk about. I'm sure. This has been Episode 13 of Cisco Champions Radio Season 5. I want to thank all of you for joining us today, and especially Juan and John for sharing their insight, and Luke and Matt for hosting today's session. As always, thanks to everyone for joining and participating in Cisco Champions Radio. Look for this episode and other awesome episodes on blogs.cisco.com slash perspectives. I'm Brett Shore, today's moderator, and until next time.